Once again, I have to thank Connie for this artwork. I had to tell her this morning, yes, very, very valuable. So I had to tell her this morning, we've been saying, well, it's so nice that Connie does, this, does these PowerPoints for us because it would take us so much longer to, to, to do them than what she does. And then reality sets in. It doesn't matter how long you gave us. They still wouldn't look as good as what she does. You could get, it, it, it wouldn't even matter. Let's, let's start off with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this house, what you're doing in this church family. Lord, I pray that you flow through me uninhibited and be able to reach exactly what you want to do today, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this message, and I have to explain why, because it may not sound like one of those messages that you get excited about. The subject matter is forgiveness. And I, I've been told uh, in a lot of instances when you preach on forgiveness or you teach on forgiveness, people get uncomfortable. I know that used to be true of me. My personality profile, if you look at it on paper, it's a personality profile that can, have, that can be sensitive and have a hard time getting over things. So if you're one of those people, I relate to you. And by all means, I take this from someone who understands. It can be hard to get over things. I, I, I appreciate that. So the irony, I suppose, of me preaching this message is I used to hate messages like this, and now I'm preaching it. <laughs> but what I hope to do is to convey how that changed. How did it go from something that I hate to something that now brings, brings me joy? And that's what I hope to communicate today. So scripturally, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in Matthew 18. So if you do want to follow along, we will have the wonderful PowerPoints going, but you can also you can camp out towards the end of Matthew 18, and that's mostly where we'll be. And I have to preface this very first verse. This is not normally uh, the kind of verse you would necessarily start a message with, but don't, don't tune me out. Just, just, just stick with me. Matthew 18, 34 and 35. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. See, just, just real cheerful, right? This, that used to be such a tough verse for me to hear, and I want to tell you how we, we can get to the point where that's not so... I mean, it always is intimidating, because we don't ever want to be in that position. But if we can understand what God's done for us to avoid ending up there, this will be a joyful thing. Also, Matthew six fourteen and 15. See, Jesus has just got done, just completed the Lord's Prayer. He's teaching the disciples, how do we pray? He gives them the Lord's Prayer, and then he circles back to something that he wants to emphasize. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And that sounds really harsh, and it, and it is really harsh. But it's really important. There's a reality that if we, we can't accept his forgiveness for ourselves and reject it for someone else, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. 
And he's also given us the ability. We're, we're going we're gonna to get. I'm going to jump ahead of myself if I'm not careful because I'm excited about this. But there is a reality of how we can forgive other people. So what we, but before we get there, see, I'm see, I'm, I'm ready to jump ahead of myself already. Before we get to this point, we need to understand how does somebody end up at this point of not being forgiven? How do they end up at this Matthew 18? 34 and 35. So to get there, now bear with me, I'm going to read through the whole parable. So starting in Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say 70 times seven. He's, he's kind of giving a play on words of Peter's words. He's, he says, no, not just, not just seven times. There, there is some teaching that uh, in some Jewish cultures, they would say you forgive someone up to three times, so that Peter thought he was being generous by saying seven. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. 77 or seven times seven. Basically innumerable. So Jesus continues, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. 10,000 talents, we don't use that currency, so that doesn't mean a lot to us. But a talent was a measurement of gold something around 75 pounds of gold, which is a huge amount. 10,000 talents in that day to the audience would have just been unimaginable. It would have been that's something that a king might do to build a whole city or launch a military campaign. It was a massive amount of money, billions of dollars to us. So to kind of put this in, in a form that we would understand... Uh, say you personally failed to deliver on a government contract that was worth $3.5 billion, and now you and everything you own is now liable for that contract, and you're, you're, you're ruined, you're destroyed. I don't think any of us have, have $3 billion lying around. It's, 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 it's immeasurable. You, you can't even comprehend how would I ever repay that. This is the debt that God's forgiven us of. This is our sin debt before God, is this thing that we could never repay. All the good works we did the rest of our lives, never repay our sin before God. Because he is the, the king in this parable. He is the master that, who we owe. So the, trying to convey, because it's easy to read over that and say, well, I don't know if that's a lot or not. Well, to the audience, they would have said, yeah, that, that's a lot. So continuing in verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. That's what God's done for us. We've received salvation. It's, I, can't, I can never repay that. It's canceled. I forgive you. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Some say denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Again, currency we don't use. The denarii was a Roman coin, and it was the standard day wage for a laborer. 
So you did a day's work, you got, a, a, you got that Roman coin. That was your standard day's pay. Uh, some, I, over the years, I've heard some messages on this text, and sometimes they'll treat the 100 denarii like it's just pocket change. Like, oh, that's nothing. That's, eh, that actually was kind of significant. You think of about 100 days' worth of work, a third of your annual income is probably significant to you, I would imagine. That it certainly would be to me. That's, I don't carry that around. Uh, so understand this. God's not trying. This is, this is the debts that we end up owing one another. These are, the, these are the sins we commit against each other. God's not trying to belittle what somebody else did to you. I, just, I want to get that. I'm, gonna, I'm jumping ahead and make sure I say that now. I don't want anybody to be hindered by that or say, thinking that God is making light of what someone's done to me. No, he's not. God, God knows what someone else did to you because he paid for it on the cross. He knows exactly how it felt because he felt it. He knows exactly what that other, whoever that is, Whatever they did, he knows it because he, he bore it on the cross. So his, in verse 29, his servant fell to, this ser- servant fell to his knees and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, He said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, and now we're back to where we started. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. The reason that this is so significant, why why does God... This is kind of how I want to explain it. There, there was a time where I would have said, it seems, it seems harsh that I've been victimized by somebody else, or I've been wronged, and then if I don't forgive them, God punishes me on top of that? I just, there was a time that seemed wrong. It's not wrong, because if we're not transformed by what God has forgiven us of, he has to be harsh on this point because if we're not able to forgive others, we haven't really received, haven't been transformed by how he's forgiven us. So he, has to, he has to hammer this point home. He has to warn us. He has to be harsh on this topic because it's so damaging to us if we hang on to unforgiveness. And it hinders what we should receive from him. So, uh, in my style, I wanted to come up with some fa- fancy analogy for forgiveness and what it looks like and what it means. Because you know, if you're speaking in front of people, you want to come up with something. It then occurs to me that God already provided the perfect analogy. Jesus already gave us this parable. And he's, he compares forgiveness. He could have compared it to anything in the universe. But he compares forgiveness to canceling a debt. really mean it that simple. He simply says... Forgiveness is like canceling a debt. Someone owes you something, and you say, I cancel that. It's no longer, they don't owe me anything anymore. What we often get tripped up on with forgiveness is that there's other ideas that get attached to it. You'll, you may hear people say, I know I have, people say, I can't forgive that person because I can't say that what they did was okay or that it was right. Well, that's not forgiveness in the first place. 
If you have to forgive someone, by definition, they did something wrong to you. Otherwise, you wouldn't have to forgive them. If it truly was a misunderstanding, which that does happen, or if it truly was an innocent mistake, then there's nothing to forgive. If you need to forgive someone, they have wronged you, and there is nothing wrong with you saying what they did was wrong. It's actually important to recognize those things. It's important to recognize, yes, what they did was wrong. Now I, now I need to forgive them. I need to cancel that debt that they owe me. Another thing that trips us up a lot. Oh, and I was also wanting to say well, along with that, you may have a situation where situations of abuse, we always have to bring this up. You know, if someone's continuing, and we're going to touch on this a little bit later, but if someone's continuing to, to harm you or do wrong, you may have to take steps to stop them. You may have to separate yourself from them. You may have to, there may be consequences that you have to enact because of what that person is doing, but you still forgive them from your heart. And that is okay too. That's not, that's not holding unforgiveness to say, look, I have to, I can't continue to let you abuse me like this. Now, for the the other thing that trips us up so much, and this permeates our society, our nature, our entertainment, everything, we have this concept in our minds, and I'm going to use Hollywood as an example. Every movie, TV show, pretty much, that you'll see is told from the perspective of the good guy. And that's on purpose because entertainment's designed for you to become uh, attached to it. And we all want to identify ourselves as the good guy. I'm the good guy. And anyone who opposes me, they're the villain. Hence the title of my message, Forgiving the Villain. Our human nature wants to do that. Uh, Even, hey, even our sports. The team I'm rooting for is definitely the right team. The other team, there's something, there's something wrong with that other team. I mean, I'm sure they're doing, they're, they're cheating somehow. I'm sure my team, of course, no, but you know that other team must be cheating because we have in our minds whatever I uh, whatever I want or whatever is uh, whatever represents me or myself. I, I'm the good guy, and if someone opposes me, they must be the bad guy. Your workplace. I'm sure all of us have seen it at some point. You, kind of have, you have that person, you're like, how, how do they think they're doing a good job? Uh, they, they are just so hard to get along with, and you talk to them, and they think they're the best person in the, in the room. You're like, how is that possible? We do the same thing. We all do that at times. We're all the, I'm, I'm the hero, I'm the good guy, and anybody, whoever opposes me or hurts me is, is the villain. And with that comes... Well, what does, the, what does the good guy do to the villain in all the movies? Defeats them, fights them, punishes them. Does, there, there's, there's conflict and there's... Don't often see... How, how many action movies have you seen where the, where the good guy forgives the villain? Like, hey, you know what, let's, let's just sit down and work this out. They totally should do that, but, it, but yeah, it, would, it, would not, it probably would not make a lot in the box office if they had the movie where, you know, we sat down, we figured things out, and we came to an amicable agreement, and yeah. We fight. The good guy fights the villain, defeats the villain, punishes the villain. The villain's supposed to lose, 
And the good guy is just justified in fighting that villain. When we apply that in our personal lives, family problems, relationships, workplace, school, every per, everywhere where we interact with other human beings, there are people who are in constant conflict because every relationship in their life is they're the good guy and anytime there's a disagreement, that person's the villain. And we all do that to some extent in our lives. So here's the real question. Who does God say is the villain? Who does God say is the good guy and who's the villain? Matthew 18, 18. So Matthew 18 and then verse 18 and 19. I'm going to have read through a couple of small scriptures here. Just what's God's opinion on who's the villain, who's the good guy? So a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, here's Jesus' response. Why do you call me good? He answered, no one is good except God alone. That's rather exclusive. Matthew seven eleven. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What did Jesus just call us? Evil? If you being evil know how to give good gifts. Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure, who can understand it? That's not a very optimistic view of our human nature here. So who are the righteous, or who are the good guys? God says, I'm the only one who's truly good. All of you are evil and sinners. What about in Scripture, though, where it talks about the righteous and the wicked? You know, Scripture is wonderfully honest. Throughout the Old Testament, we have these patriarchs. We have, uh, we have these, these heroes of the faith. And we're like, oh, they, they're, the, they're the good guys. And then the Bible just tells us all these times that they sinned and they failed, and God had to restore them and encourage them and help them. And uh, in Hebrews, we see that their righteousness came through faith in God, not themselves. They were never truly the good guys. They were just willing to obey God. And they just believed God, and he credited it to them as righteousness. And, the, and both the righteous and the wicked are sinners in the Word, in the Word of God. But the difference is faith in God, willingness to obey him. So how, how does that apply to us in this, in this scenario, this debt? We start to realize that Wait, that yeah, someone wronged me, but I, we're both wrong. The person who wronged me and me both are wrong. We both need forgiveness. We both need God's mercy. Well, that that really changes my perspective, doesn't it? On what on what's happened? Now, now here's the counter to that argument. Well, I would never treat somebody the way they treated me. I've said that. In preparing for this message, I figured I was reminded of something that I had said that about somebody. Somebody, somebody hurt me, and I said I'd never treat somebody like they treated me. What what they said to me, what they said about me. And you know what? I realized a few years later, I said something about that person. Totally didn't put it together. Didn't realize it. I did the same thing they did. I said something really hurtful. They they ended up coming to me, and I had really wounded them. After saying a few years before that, oh, I would never hurt somebody the way they hurt me. Apparently I will. Apparently that's, that's what my self-righteousness is worth right there. 
I did exactly what I said I wouldn't do. And I know in, even in this room, even online, there are people who have been through things that are like, oh, Jason, you don't understand. I would never hurt somebody the way they've hurt me. I don't know. Because you, put, you take any of us and put us in a horrible situation, we're capable of doing some pretty awful things. It's uh, some uh, there's there's it's been said that our righteousness is is based on our uh, what's convenient for us. It's easy to be if you're in a comfortable situation, you can you can act well. You put you you get put in a desperate situation, and you find out real quick what 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 our nature is. So. I want to be really careful. I don't want to do that again. I don't want to go around saying, I would never treat somebody like that because I might end up doing it again. Apparently, that's, I've, I've been able to see that in myself. So now we need, to get to, we need to get to some real answers here because we found out, okay, this forgiveness thing is really important because it can really affect, it can, we could end up separated from God. And I'll tell you how important I've heard people say if that person ends up in heaven, I don't want to be there. I've heard people say that. So when you see when God's saying, "Look, if you don't forgive people, you won't you won't receive you won't get my forgiveness." This this can get very serious. Thankfully, I can tell you that same person who said that was giving a testimony because they had said that, but then God restored that relationship. Right before the other person died, they got reconciled, and oh, it was a wonderful testimony. But not, you know, in this room right now, or watching online, even later on, that, that, that may not be true for you yet. So we want to get you to that point. So, circling back to our main text, back to the parable. Okay, we've realized that that servant failed. What really made the, the master angry was the servant did not appreciate what he had been forgiven of. I forgave you this massive debt. Why couldn't you forgive that smaller debt to, between you and some, someone else? That's what really, that's, that's what the servant missed was how much of a sinner he was, how indebted he was, and he was forgiven. And that should transform him into, now I can share that mercy with somebody else. But there's another, another point that I want to point I want to wrap that together, but I also want to point out something else. The servant's focus, how did he miss that? How did he miss that point where he, he didn't realize, he, first he didn't realize how much he'd been forgiven of. What, was he, what did he substitute it with? Well, he went after that other servant and grabbed him by the throat and said, pay me back. Pay me back what you owe me. And the other servant could not do it. I can't pay you back. So let's apply that to our situations. So someone's wronged you. They've hurt you. They've taken something from you. And now we'll kind of, let's, let's talk a little bit about what those debts are. I, I know the parable Jesus gave us. He gave us this monetary example. He gave us this parable of money and owing a debt. That's, for a lot of us, that's not necessarily the thing. It's not a monetary thing. It, it can be uh, parent, relationship, uh, marriage, whatever that broke down, whatever happens, it is a matter of our self-worth, our sense of safety, our, our affirmation. 
it, it really, those are the kinds of things that really stick with us and are hard to forgive, is where someone tore down your sense of value, your, your worth, made you feel, made you doubt uh, your, your own safety or your own value, those things. If you could get that person by the throat and to punish them, pay, fix that damage that you did, they can't. No matter, no matter what you do to them, no matter how repentant they are, maybe they would apologize or something, but they, they still can't fix the damage that they've done. None of us can. Well, that puts us in quite a, quite a uh, predicament here. Someone has hurt me, taken away something I needed, and those are the real needs, not, not just not monetary, but needs of value, safety, I know sometimes that can be hard to talk about because that, that, that gets very it gets very personal. That gets very uh, it's hard to admit that somebody else made you feel worthless. But that's the reality. Those are those bitterness, those things that just hang out in our heart that we can't get rid of. And the other person cannot fix it. No matter how much you grab them by the throat, no matter what you hold against them, they can't fix it. So here's the question. What are we going to do about it? Because that damage is real. Not denying the harm that done was real. Where are we going to go to get that fixed, that need, that, that debt? So if we're canceling that person's debt, because that's what we're saying. You no longer owe me anything. Well, who's going to pay for the damage done to me, metaphorically? Who's going to, pay, who's going to give me those things that I need? Second Peter 1.3 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Wait, he's already provided everything that we need for life and godliness? Every need that someone else has caused us to suffer, he's already paid for it? He, he is the provider? He'll, he'll meet that need? He'll meet, meet that need of your self-worth, your sense of safety, your sense of purpose, whatever it was that you're lacking because of someone else's action or inaction, whether they held, whether they held back their affection or whether they were harsh to you, whatever it was, he's already provided it. He's the one you, you can get it from. That other person that you hold something against, you got them by the throat, that in and of itself, the world will tell you, you're the victim, they've hurt you. In Jesus' analogy, we have that other person by the throat. We, the victim mindset says you're in the weak, the weak position. But Scripture says you're actually, when you're holding something against somebody, it's like having them by the throat, and they can't repay. So let them go. Because the, what, what will hinder you from receiving what God, God already wants to fix that. But he needs you to let go of that person and cancel that debt and receive what he's got for you, what he's already paid for, what he paid for on the cross, what he's already wants to meet that need. That is good news. That, that's hope that the world can't offer. The world can't ultimately fix relationships because they don't have that. It's just human beings trying to fix the damage. And we're a lot better at breaking each other than we are fixing each other. So, if God's already provided all of this, how's that going to change us? 
if we're no longer getting our needs met from other people, and I mean the, I mean the deep-seated needs. Now, we, we need fellowship one with another, right? No, I don't want to confuse anybody on that. Certainly, we need to interact with one another. But the reality is, is we're all flawed human beings. There's seven billion of us on this nice little planet, and we are going to constantly hurt one another. <laughs> we're going to constantly fail one another. If we're getting our needs met from him, though, that's going to totally change how we respond. We can be merciful to other people. It's okay that you failed me. I wasn't relying on you in the first place. I was relying on God. So that frees me up to interact with people. And, oh, oh they hurt me. Okay. But I, I, know, I know the one who's, re- who's going to fix that damage. I, I can testify. I've got more verses, but I will personally testify. There are things that have happened to me even even recently or been said or something, and I think, boy, I used to, that would have really hurt, and now I barely feel it because God's work, done work on has worked on me. He didn't change my personality. He just changed who I looked to to fix things. So how's it going to change how we see people? Let's look at Psalms 118.6. The Lord is with me. That's exactly what we're, what we're talking about. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? If you've been wounded, you read that and think, well, man can do quite a bit. Human beings can hurt quite a bit. But this realization, the Lord's with me, I don't have to be afraid. Understanding he's with me causes me to look at other people and say, you can't really do anything to me. Not truly. Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This realization of our, inter- our relationship with God or our interaction, wow, he's the one, and I know it's scary to think of him destroying soul and body in hell, but that's kind of what we're, that's what we're talking about. If we don't forgive others and, and he can't forgive us, we're talking very serious consequences. It, we, we should exchange that. We should not be afraid of what people can do to us. If we're looking for him as a provider, but we also recognize that he's, yeah, it, it's, it's a whole lot better to be right with him than, than worrying about what people are doing to us. So what about the idea of getting even? That's a, it's on our minds as humans quite a bit. If the person that hurt you is a believer, haven't their sins been paid for on the cross and by the blood of Jesus? And if they're not a believer... Aren't they on their way to hell? So a believer wounds me. I know God encourages me to forgive that. And, and I, I can look at the sin that someone's committed against me, and I can rejoice because God's already paid for that sin. And we're, me and that other person, we're going to both be in heaven, and we're going to both rejoice that God forgave us because we got there the same way, the same blood of Jesus. God is both there. And there's no way that I would want to deny that other person the joy of heaven because of what they did to me. It's like, God, forget, forget what they did to me. We're, just, we're going to both be in heaven. We're both going to rejoice and praise you at what you forgave us of and got us there. For the unbeliever, how oh, they've sinned against me, I want to do something bad to them. They're on their way to hell. What are you going to do to them? What would you... You're not going to make it worse for them. What... 
what our hearts desire is to see them saved. See, that sin that they commit us paid for by the blood of Jesus, that's, that's wonderful. That's way more enjoyable than anything we might do to, to get back at them. But as far as, oh, they should be punished, they will be. If they don't repent, they'll be punished. You don't have to do, you don't have to do anything to make that happen. But let's try to win them to the, to the Lord and get saved. I want to go back to a little earlier in Matthew 18. Before, right before he gives this parable, Jesus gives them some teaching, and I had never re- really saw this teaching this way before. So Matthew eighteen fifteen says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. If he does not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two or three of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. And immediately after that starts into Peter asking him, how many times do I forgive my brother? We quote that verse a lot. Two or three of us gathered together, Jesus is there. The context of it's right in the middle of all this um, unforgiveness and, and somebody wronging us. This verse, you look at this, I was reading through this and realizing the priority of all of this is trying to restore the person who sinned against you. There are cases where you do have to distance somebody who won't repent, who's, abuse, who's abusive, and yeah, we understand that. But the whole heart of this is how do I help the person who's sinning against me? Not how do I get even, not how do I defend my rights or get, or already none of the uh, how do I get even or any of that. It's, oh, they're sinning against me. How do I help them? How do we possibly get to that mindset without looking at the Lord as our provider? If our, if our eyes are on God and his, he's meeting our needs, that's the only way we're going to get to the point where we look at somebody who's sinning against us and say, how do I help them? There's something wrong there. I want to I I help try to restore them if I can. So this is what well, I wanted to note. If you realize you're forgiven of the 10,000 talents, you don't really need the 100 denarii anymore. We say, oh, I want, I want that person to, to pay back what they've done. If you realize, what you've, been, you realize you've been forgiven a debt of 10,000 talents, of billions of dollars, you don't need, don't need the few hundred dollars anymore. Now, here's another part of this, though. So we've realized, oh, it's really important we forgive. And not only is it important we've forgiven, God's given us a way to do it because he's meeting those needs that harm. We can cancel that other person's debt because he's met that debt. That's great. But we also realize that we're all villains. So what happens when we hurt somebody else? What happens when we're the bad guy in the situation? Because inevitably, that's going to happen. Unless we're walking around delusional that we're always the good guy, we're going to realize 
Look, if I, I'm a flawed human being, I've hurt somebody. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, go first and be, recon- and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So this is, this is Jesus talking, and they would go. To the, it was a big deal to have, take your gift to the altar, and he's saying, "Hey, if you're at the altar and you realize somebody else has a claim against you, you've wronged somebody. Go fix that first, then then come back worship God." It's so important to God that we, there not be unforgiveness. That means even when we've hurt somebody else, we need to go. We need to go and make that right. I know that's not easy. I've had God absolutely demand, and I did obey. I had, I've had to go and apologize to somebody that I didn't necessarily... I could have probably made the case that I didn't, they didn't deserve an apology, but I still had to go do it because the Holy Spirit wouldn't leave me alone about it. I'm like, I have to go, I have to go do that, and that was, it, was so, it, was, it was absolutely worth it to go and, go and, and make that right with somebody. It really it will affect you if you... It, it will affect your worship to God if you don't go and make something right with someone else if you've wronged them. It will impact you. It also puts them at risk of having unforgiveness, and it's such a dangerous thing. We don't, wanna, we don't want anybody walking around with unforgiveness. We can't force them to forgive us, but we need to, we need to try to make it right with them the best we can. So our mindset has changed now. From, I've got to protect myself to, well, God's taking care of me. Now, I want, to, I want to guard somebody else against unforgiveness. I want to protect them from the unforgiveness. I, I cause them harm. Now, I want to make that right and do my best so that they don't end up bitter. So, going now, going forward, what, what are we going to do with all of this? this? This would be the challenge part of the message. We need to recognize if we're holding unforgiveness against anybody. I've heard this from someone else, so I'm totally stealing this. Um, but the phrase, can that person pass through your mind safely? If you think about that person, do you get angry? Do you think something bad about them? Do you want to do something to them negatively? Is there somebody in your life that you're holding that to, holding uh, something against them? I wasn't going to share this, but I feel like I should. Um, I had a situation where I was mad at somebody, and God showed me, and this, wasn't, this, this was only an object lesson for me from God. He showed me that person and said, if you both were standing before me and I said I was going to send them to hell because of what they did to you, what, how would you respond? And immediately I was like, no, no, no just no, no, forget, forget what they did. Lord, you, you've already healed that area. Forget what you've already provided for me. For, just forget what they did. And I felt him saying, you're, you're starting to get it. I don't, I'm interested in what starting to get it means. I'm sure there's more. But just that, that idea of the reality of, Lord, I would, no, for, just, just don't even account that against them. That's, that's what canceling the debt means. It means if, if we were standing before God, we'd just say, oh, Lord, that, what happened there, just, just forget it. Don't even, don't even worry about it. You've already, you've already provided what I need. I, I don't know what 
either watching online here, I, I, there's no way I could guess what all the different situations are that are represented here, the different hurts, different pains. But God can take care of every single one of them. It may take time, and it will almost certainly take you being willing to release that, being willing to release their, that debt. They can't pay it anyway. It's only hurting you to hang on to it. It's totally worth letting go of it. It really is. So, the challenge is moving forward. Recognize if you're holding something against somebody, cancel that debt and, and seek God for that, for that healing. And it may be something that you have to, you think of that person again, like, oh, I'm still angry. Take, go back to God with it. Say, Lord, I, I've chosen to forgive them. Help me to, help me to not still feel bad, badly, badly towards them going forward. The other thing, if you realize somebody's holding something against you, Either, either of these ways, you know, we're at a time where we're recognizing that the connection between people is more important than ever. We've just come off the most isolated year we've ever had. This is the perfect time to reconcile with somebody. Everybody is wanting to connect with people. This is a perfect opportunity to say, you know what, I haven't talked to you for a while. I know there's this thing between us. I, I want to make it right. Perfect timing to do that. I also believe that where this church is headed, that there's a reason that we need to let go of these things because we're going to take off as a church. We don't need this holding us back. And we've already talked about this morning. If we're reaching out to the world and we're ministering to, to hurting people, hurting people tend to hurt people. We may have to get a little tough on these on this on this issue because we may have. Some people you minister to are, can be can be harsh, can be t- can be hard to minister to. We can get wounded while we're out there trying to minister. We need to get really good at this forgiveness thing. Or, yep, you just wipe it off, keep going, because the more we're reaching the lost, the more we're going to encounter some people who will lash out and, and wound us if we're not if we're not ready to handle it. And we live on a planet with seven billion flawed human beings, so we're, we're just we're just going to get we're not going to get through this without some some hurts along the way. So we need to know how to get over them and get and get healing for them. The sooner, the better. Also, along with this, and there may be some watching, uh, or or maybe even here that don't know the Lord. You haven't you haven't had the Master forgive you of that debt. You don't have the true ability to forgive someone else because. You've never received forgiveness from the Lord. That, if, if that's you, by all means, talk to myself, Pastor Chad, any, any of us here. If you're watching online, reach out to us. We always would welcome the chance to lead someone to the Lord, pray with you. Any of you here, this, this is, yeah, this is the, the challenge portion, the time to react. Now, ultimately, it may be the, the real challenge may be re- reaching out to someone outside of this room. But if any of you want prayer, I'd be happy to pray with you. The, the elders, Pastor Chad, would be happy to pray with you. Uh, if the worship team does want to come up, and, and uh, I, I am wrapping this up, so go ahead and come on up. And let's, let's have a time. Let's, let's let the Lord work on this. Let's let the Lord turn this into I mean, Me personally, this has gone from, oh, I can hardly stand to read that verse in Matthew 18 to, Wow, look what God's rescued me from by, by getting me to look to him instead of other people.
that's what, that's what I pray for every one of you today. All right. Praise the Lord. Um, I can't think of a more critical message um, than forgiveness. How many have ever struggled with forgiveness? And uh, how many, I'm not going to say this, but don't raise your hand on this one. I don't want to implicate anybody here. Are you still struggling with forgiveness? In fact, I had a book. Um, it's one of my favorite books. I give it to people all the time because when I recognize bitterness, and I re- bitterness is just old anger. You know, it's old anger, and it always is rooted in forgiveness. And um, in fact, I preached a message one time called The Root of Bitterness. And so I see that all the time, and sometimes it just, man, it um, manifests itself, and people don't even realize it. Like if you ever find yourself constantly mad at people for no reason, or constantly angry at your childhood, and it's still affecting your life, constantly affected by things from the past, then you have a root of bitterness. And so I'll give this book, it's called Why Forgive? And it's all about forgiveness. It's my favorite, one of my favorite books I've ever read. And I don't even know if the guy is a Christian. Is he ever saying there whether he is or isn't? Just a guy that came from a lot of forgiveness and or a lot of forgiveness issues. And so I needed that book because it needed to, I needed to help me. And I've given that book, I don't know how many times I've bought that book and had it sent to somebody's house so they could read it. And uh, it's just stories of half the book is people that have went through traumatic things and they refuse to forgive and the path that their life took to destruction from that one wrong thing the path of destruction other half of the book is people that had equally traumatic things and I'm talking about bad things I'm talking about murders and abuse and that kind of thing the other half of the book are people that just chose to forgive and live a life of forgiveness And it maps out how their life went after. And they were able to overcome, in fact, several of the situations. There there were people that murdered their family member or a drunk driver killed their family member. And they actually became friends with the person who did it. And led them to the Lord in some cases. And so church, understand, God's launching us into ministry. And Jason is 100% correct. Uh, these are appointments with God. We need to get this resolved. And it's kind of like you're getting ready to go on a long vacation. You're like, man, I got to get my physical things resolved so I can enjoy my vacation. Okay, God is getting ready to launch us into ministry, and He doesn't want us holding on to unforgiveness. So, what I want you to do is uh, the worship team plays this song. I want you to think about mom, think about dad, think about your neighbor, think about your coworker. And any resentment that you have, and and here's the thing, action is important in these things. And I've had to go to people and say those things, hey, your life is more important to me than what we're going through here. And I just want you to know I forgive you, and and here's a real big one. You may think you're 100% right in the situation, but they're still offended with you. And so one really good thing to say that I've found over the years is, um, I'm, sorry for your, I'm sorry for the offense. 
you know, this situation has caused an offense and I've went to people that I knew I did the right thing and I've actually said, I'm sorry that you're offended by me. And I apologize for the offense and I hope that I can relieve the offense. And you say, well, man, never say that to somebody, you know, who's done you wrong. But, you know, the goal, like Jason said, is to reach souls. And, uh, man, that'll, that'll speak louder than anything. So I want you to think about that now. Right, your Pete? I want you to start thinking about those areas of your life where there's unforgiveness. And just pray, you know, just say, Lord, I let it go. My mom, my dad. Sometimes when it's mom and dad, you just have to treat them. This is something God gave me over the years. Again, I, you understand I have a lot of battles in this area. <laughs> These are personal stories. You've got to treat family members as if they were the perfect mom or the perfect dad or the perfect sister or the perfect brother, even if they weren't. Honor them like they were. Because here's what we do when we're unforgiving. What do we do? We say, I'm going to give them what they deserve. Well, man, I sure hope God doesn't give you what you deserve. You ever think about it? I hope God doesn't give me what I deserve. I hope He just doesn't treat me like, you know, He's imperfect, so I'm going to treat Him like He deserves. God doesn't do that. So if you have a mom who's imperfect, she's a part of your club. Because you're in the imperfect club. So I want you to think about mom. And I want you to think about Mother's Day's coming up. And I want you to think about treating mom as if she was a perfect mother. Honoring her. Loving her. Forgiving her. Your neighbor. Well, that's not the kind of neighbor I would have I picked treat them as if they were just pray let the Holy Spirit lead you we need this church we need this hallelujah happen to us in this life and I, I this includes even the, the worst of things it's not it's not going to matter because we're in heaven we're in God's presence all those tears dried all the all that healed we can tap into that now that is not at all denying that your pain is real I would never belittle anyone's pain believe me there is God's glory will overwhelm that pain will heal that pain will when we're in heaven we won't feel that anymore we can tap into that now we can we can, we can realize Lord I'm on I'm on, I'm headed towards your presence and glory and this will no longer haunt me or hurt me I want to I want to I want to tap into that right now by faith, already acknowledging, look, I'm, 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 all, I'm already headed to that to- place of total healing now. Lord, I want some of that healing now. Help me. You all know me pretty well, but you don't know I was brought up in a pretty rough life. 
one thing that happened to my family with my brother when he was 15 yeah, got hit by a drunk driver. Well, by some miracle, my dad met someone that knew the guy that done it. And we found out the guy that done it, for some reason that day, wanted to see how the other half lived. And he got drunk, was with another woman. This guy had was married, had two kids of his own. And we never did really find out what happened that night, whether the bike went in front of the car or the car off the road. But it cost my brother his life. We had a choice. We could hate the guy. But what good would that have done? Instead, we prayed. The guy ended up in the mental institution for a while. We prayed for the guy that he would return back to the Lord, which he did, which was a blessing. So you never know what the other life is going through either. Sometimes you just got to learn to forgive and pray and leave it to the Lord. You have to go around and put yourself in a situation where you get harmed or again or something. No. You can pray from a distance. Close us out in prayer. If there's anybody who can come up and close out with a message of forgiveness, I'd say it's my mom. I've never seen anybody go through as much as her and immediately forgive. And uh, most of you just know her as the nicest lady to ever live, but if she ever told you her testimony, you would see that that lady's been through it. her to come up here to tell you that she's not speaking as in it's a good idea she's telling you it's necessary to forgive so uh, let's close in prayer father god i thank you for what you're doing in us lord i thank you that uh that you love us so much that you would show up that you would speak straight to our hearts lord thank you for the word you gave jason lord let us all hold on to that lord let it change our lives Lord. let it be a start of a a new life. Heal us. Give us the strength to forgive. Help us, Lord, even to forgive you where we we expected one thing and it didn't happen. We know you are a good, good father and you do nothing but good. That you're taking care of us. I I pray, Lord, as we go out these doors, Lord, that we don't let go of this message. But that we begin to forgive that we begin to restore. And we remember, Lord, that uh, we're just as much of a villain as anybody else. So help us forgive, Lord, and help us receive forgiveness. We thank you. We love you. Be with us throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.